every time I watch that bumper, I kind of go, on the deal. You know we do all of those in-house, right? That we do all the filming and the actors are all people that, you know, attend Cornerstone and we, we do that and our production team just an amazing job. Uh, it was kind of interesting though, last night uh, I was at a wedding and one of the ladies who was attending the wedding uh, came up to me and said, Lynn, it was, it was just so weird. I was sitting in the mine on Tuesday night and I looked up and three rows ahead of me, Satan was sitting there. <laughs> What I think is even more interesting is that we've had young ladies calling the office and saying, can, can you give me the name of Satan? <laughs> can I have his phone number? Now, hey, Satan, you don't know me, but... <laughs> hey, uh, we're, in the, we're in a series. It's called uh, Fallen, and uh, we're just simply saying out loud, uh, saying truthfully and saying, there is an enemy. Uh, there is an enemy who opposes us, who wants nothing more than to destroy us, whose delight would be to ruin your reputation, to get you so far off track with God that you end your life with nothing but deep sorrow and regret, that your, that your last words are, how in the world did I get here? That your children would look at you someday with contempt and say, no, no, mom, dad, you guys are hypocrites. See, there is an enemy who delights in nothing more than ruining us. Not because he loves us, not because he likes us, not because he wants us on, our team, on his team, but simply because he knows he can't be our heavenly father, and therefore he attacks that which God loves the most, you and me. Now, I get, I, get, I get that we live in sophisticated times, and even amongst the church, that some would say, Lynn, well, wait, you know, I, I, I like the whole God part, and all that. I, but isn't Satan allegorical? I mean, isn't he metaphorical? I mean, isn't that just kind of an illustration that's being used? But we're not talking literal uh, Satan. And yet it's interesting that when you actually go to Scripture, Scripture just doesn't apologize about this topic. Scripture just says there is a real living enemy. You and I like the passage that says, hey, love your neighbor. We really like the passage that says, children, obey your parents. It's like our favorite verse in the Bible, right? But, you know, we get to this topic, and then all of a sudden we go, well, you know, maybe, maybe Jesus didn't really mean what he said, and maybe he, maybe he was using exaggeration as a literary tool. And, but what you need to get and understand is, is that Scripture teaches unapologetically. Jesus, without hesitation, said there is an enemy. Matter of fact, his ministry opens up with him doing battle with the enemy. And that Satan would love nothing more than for you and I to land on two sides of this issue. One is to say, you know what, I really don't think he's there. I don't think this is real. I don't think this is legitimate. And to ignore him so that he has the opportunity when you and I aren't watching, when you and I aren't on the lookout, to sneak up behind and catch us unaware. Or the other option is, is that you and I would say, um, hey, uh, I'm kind of curious. I, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've always kind of wondered, and, and maybe there's some information, maybe there's some access, maybe there's some things that I am to flirt around this issue, thinking that we're in control and that we can back away any time and that the enemy, we can outwit. And either of those are desperately, desperately dangerous. So 
Today, we're just going to say, no, no, we're going to admit that he's there. We're going to get that he is crafty. We're going to admit that in his subtlety, he wants to deceive and ultimately destroy us. Now, here's the deal. As we were getting ready to do uh, this sermon series, uh, we have a teaching team that gets together, kind of goes through the topic, says, hey, what are we going to talk about? And in the process of, man, our juices all got going. We just came up with all these ideas, and we kept just firing questions and saying, well, you know, I guarantee people are curious, are there ghosts, and what about, you know, astrologers, and, and, and can you get palms read, and we were firing, and we realized that in the course of the series, there was no way that some of these questions were going to fit into the Sundays that we were doing. So we took the ones that would fit, set them aside, but still had a huge list and said, we'll just never be able to address these questions. So we said, let's do a kind of a question Sunday. Let's take the best of the best of the best of the questions. Let's just tackle them so we don't leave them undone. And so that's what we've done. And, and I've actually got five of what we thought were some of the best questions uh, that maybe wouldn't get covered that we're just going to spend time on together today. We're going to draw them out of a bowl randomly, which means last service was different than this service, different questions. If we get to the end and you go, oh, I, there was one great one and we didn't get to it, we're going to take all of the questions, we're going to put them all online so you can still go get them. The other part is you may be sitting there with a question we didn't think of. And if you'll go online, if you'll go to Cornerstone's Facebook, there's an opportunity for you there to say, here's my question about Satan. We'll make sure that it gets answered for you. Okay? Now, here's the thing as we get ready to do this. I guarantee what we're going to do in the next few minutes is going to stir the pot. And there are going to be some of us in the room that are going to say, whoa, 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 Lynn, whoa, 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 wait. You can't mean that. You could, did you really say that? The answer is, yeah, we did. We said that. We meant it. And some of us in this room, because we have experienced something in our lives, are going to say, whoa, no, Lynn, wait, wait. Surely that's a bad answer. See, because I talked to an angel. And that angel told me to do really good things. They told me to be positive, and they told me... Someone's going to say, no, 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 I talked to Uncle Fred. And Uncle Fred encouraged me and said, you keep on keeping on for Jesus. And surely if that was demonic in any way, surely Uncle Fred would have never said that. He wouldn't have encouraged me in positive things and in my Christian life. Grab your Bibles. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, if you're not real familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible, work to the left, you're going to find this book of 2 Corinthians. If your Bible has 3 Corinthians, you got a bad Bible, <laughs> throw it away. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and guys, I just want to encourage you, we're going to go through a lot of Scripture today as we attempt to answer these questions. Here, here. You and I have to measure our lives not by experience, but by Scripture, okay? This, this is God's Word, and this is what we measure everything in our life by. You get that if you go to a young person who's experimenting with drugs and they've just gotten into the culture, they're going to tell you how wonderful drugs are because, because, because that's the limit of their experience so far. Go back and visit that young person 15 years later and see what they tell you about drugs. You and I are always in trouble when we try to interpret life based on our experience. You and I interpret life and measure life by the Word of God. And anything else gets you and I in trouble. Okay? 
So if you're sitting here today and in a few moments as we begin to give you some answers and you go, Lynn, but that's not my experience. I, I'm telling you, I went to a fortune teller and they told me exactly what was going to happen. So surely that was God. You need to hear me say, I don't care about your experience. I care about Scripture and what God says about that topic. And if you follow your experience, you'll end up exposing yourself to something that is dark and dangerous. Okay? Matter of fact, here's 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. Here's what it says. And it's talking about false teachers who've gotten into the church and they're deceiving and they're leading people astray, saying that they're teaching good stuff. Here's what it says. And no wonder, no wonder they look good, no wonder they look positive, no wonder people are being deceived. For Satan himself, you ready, masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Let me ask you a question. If I'm the enemy, if I want to get you, a follower of Christ, to get off track, am I going to come and expose myself fully to you and say, look, I'm, I'm darkness. I'm going to ruin you. Come follow me. You'd, you'd turn and run. So instead, I will come as an angel of light. See, I will tell you 99% positive, good, affirming stuff, and I'll mix in 1% lie. Because if I can get you to just move with me a little bit, then the next conversation I can mix in 2%. I don't, guys, 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 Please, 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 as we navigate these scriptures, don't measure it by experience. Measure what we're about to talk about by the Word of God. And if the Word of God says, don't go there, don't do this, stay away, then here's what you need to hear me say. I don't care what the angel said to you if it doesn't line up with the Word of God. Because then it wasn't an angel from God. Even Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. All right, here we go. Here's the questions. Here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to draw them out of there randomly. We'll see which ones we get to. Here we go. Uh, question number one, are ghosts real? Uh, do angels still contact humans? Uh, what about Nostradamus? And what about the Mayan calendar that says that uh, the whole world is coming to an end December 21st, 2012? Should we be worried? Because it seems like there's people and there's information out there that's not always in Scripture? How should we respond? Can a Christian go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Satan or with a demon? Is that possible? And then uh, finally, is it okay to use a fortune teller or a medium uh, to attend a seance? What about Ouija boards? What, what, what about my horoscope? Okay, so those, those are the ones we're going to try and tackle. We're not going to get through them all, so here we go. Okay, question number one, are ghosts real? Are ghosts real? So go ahead, grab your Bible. Go with me to 1 Samuel. And if you're not real familiar, if you go to the front of your Bible and turn to the right, you're going to find this book of 1 Samuel. Just about a third the way in. 1 Samuel. So here's the question. Are ghosts real? 
And the answer is, yeah. Yeah, ghosts are real. I mean, I mean if you mean by ghosts, are there, are there spirit beings who once were in a body and now aren't in their body? And if that's what you're calling ghosts, well, then yeah. The, I mean, Scripture teaches that pretty clearly. Matter of fact, uh, Scripture would say to you and me, you and I are in our purest, you and I are spirit. You and I are eternal. So whether or not you and I are a believer or not a believer, whether you're a Christian or not, every human being is eternal. It's how we are, part of how we are different um, than the animals. You and I are eternal in our essence. So the Scripture would even go further to say that you and I, although we experience each other kind of in this tactile world where we can touch, you realize that these bodies that you and I are in only last about 80 years, give or take some. And Scripture would even say this thing that you and I are in, this, this body that we're in is so temporary, Scripture refers to it as a tent. It's like a temporary residence. And goes on to be very clear to say that when someone dies, that who they are, the, the spirit either goes to be with God in heaven or goes to judgment. And it's everlasting. So if you're saying by ghosts, are there, is there spirit that goes on after the... Yeah, absolutely. But probably in all likelihood what you and I are asking is a different question. What we're asking is, can Aunt Edna come back and give me the long-lost recipe for her peach cobbler. Yeah. Uh, the other night, uh, you know, I was sitting in my home, and all of a sudden, like, you know, doors were slamming, and I was hearing weird noise. You know, could, could that be a ghost? More likely, you and I are asking that question. And the answer to that is no. No. Not a chance. It's not, you ready? Possible. Remember when Jesus uh, was here uh, on the earth, and he was teaching, and he told this account. He says, uh, there was a rich man, and the rich man in this life had everything that he wanted, but one thing he didn't want was God. So he lived his entire life kind of frivolously, doing whatever he wanted to do, and then died, and he died without God. And Scripture real clearly says, and so he then lifted up his eyes in torment, in judgment, in hell. It says outside the door of the rich man was a guy by the name of Lazarus who simply waited for the rich man's trash to be emptied every day so that he could pick up the scraps and eat. And if you know about the culture, there, there are no city dumps at the time. So when you got done with dinner, or when you had, you literally, you just threw it in the street. So the streets of the cities were the trash dumps. And Lazarus is sitting outside the door of the rich man brushing dirt off the leftovers from his plate, and that's how he's living. But the one thing that Lazarus had figured out was a relationship with Jesus Christ, and he, he was a believer. And so Scripture says when he died, he then ends up in the presence of all the saints. And then Jesus tells this story. He says, the rich man in torment lifted up his eyes, saw Lazarus, and said, go tell my brothers not to come here. Tell them not, I blew it, I get it, I get that I, to go back, tell my brothers not to come, that they need to believe in God. Okay, so stop and think about this for a moment. Here's the rich man, he wants to give a message to his family, 
He can't. He can't. He can't go back, which is the answer. You die without Jesus Christ, you end up in judgment. You don't have the option to go back and say, hey, guys, just want you to know everything Jesus said was real, I blew it. You can't. It's not an option. But it's interesting that as he makes the request that Abraham then says back to this rich man, no, we're not going to send Lazarus. We're not going to do it. They've got the Bible. They've got everything that God has already said. They've got every opportunity to make their choice. And the answer is no, we're not going to send somebody back from the dead to talk to them. And inadvertently through the passage, you and I get the answer. No, dead people don't come back for conversations. You end up, once you die, matter of fact, Scripture says to be absent from the body for believers is to be present with the Lord, okay? It's just not optional, okay? This world's done, they're gone. Matter of fact, 1 Samuel, which we just turned to, is an occurrence in which God lifted the rule, okay? It's an interesting moment. It's, it's the one time we get recorded in Scripture where God says, okay, we're going to let someone come back from the dead, and we're going to let them hold a conversation here. And uh, here's, let me give you the background of what's going on in this moment. Saul is the king of Israel, and he's been a horrible king. He's been, he's been just absolutely the worst king you can imagine. Every time God said do something, Saul does the opposite. God eventually comes to Saul and says, look, you're not going to be king any longer. I'm going to remove you from the throne, and I have found someone else to replace you. His name is David. So your own son, Jonathan, is not going to get on the throne the lineage is going to pass to a completely different household. I'm not going to have a descendant of Saul on the throne. About the same time, the prophet of God, Samuel, who had been speaking to Saul and saying, Saul, no, don't go there. Don't do that. Here's what God's. Samuel dies. And Saul finds himself in a moment in which the Philistine army is invading Israel. And now he goes, great. God has turned away from me because of my disobedience. The prophet of God has died, so I can't ask him any questions. What am I going to do? Here's what he comes up with. I'll go consult a medium, and I'll see if they can bring back for me Samuel so that I can ask him my questions. So you get the moment. I want to see if I can get somebody from the dead to come back again so I can ask him some questions about life. Sound familiar? Here's an interesting thing. It's illegal in the country of Israel to consult a medium or a spiritualist. Guess who made the law? Saul. So the very guy who's getting ready to go and visit a witch so that he can consult the dead is the one that made it the penalty of death if you do. So here's, here it is in 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 9. But the woman, the medium, said to him, Saul, Surely you know that Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and the spiritualists from the land. And what I forgot to tell you is, is that Saul disguises himself so that she will not recognize him. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished. Think, think about the moment for him. Saul, who is in the midst of disobeying God, 
says, no, 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 you have my word, I swear upon God. Isn't that an interesting moment? I'm here in direct disobedience to God, but you can trust me because I'm going to swear on God. What's even more interesting is, is the woman who's involved in contacting the demonic says, oh, well, if you'll swear on God, then I can trust you. All right, you'll get that tonight. Okay. As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished. Then the woman asked, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw, get this, watch this. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Get the moment, get the moment. She said to Saul, look, who do you want me to bring up? He said, I want you to bring up Samuel. She said, okay, that'll be 50 bucks because that's what I do. I'm a medium. I bring up dead people. You get to talk to them. But when she actually sees Samuel, remember the dead person she's calling back? She screams in terror. Why? Why does this medium scream in terror at the sight of a dead person? That's what she does. Because it's never happened before. Because dead people don't come back to have conversations. And every time before this, it's been a demon. Impersonating the person. And for the first time, the real person came back and in terror, she screams. So here's what you need me to say. If you're sitting in here today and go, well, well, Lynn, I, I talked to Aunt Edna. I mean, I'm telling you, Aunt Edna told me things that only Aunt Edna would know. No, 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 no. Demons would know. Darkness would know. And Scripture is pretty clear that says, look, dead, pe- dead people don't come back for conversations. And if you've had that experience, if you've gone there, you just need to hear, that was not Aunt Edna. It was demonic. And it was deceptive. And I don't care how many positive things they said. I don't care how encouraging they were. It wasn't Aunt Edna. All right, what about, what about Nostradamus and the whole Mayan thing for 2012? December, you guys realize December 21st, 2012, the world's ending, right? The Mayans have told us. So what about that? Should we be worried? Should, should, that, should that be something that we get ready for? What do you do? Here's the part that's interesting. There does seem to be an ability out there to predict things. There seems to be people who somehow have some sort of clairvoyance, some sort of an ability. Matter of fact, um, did you know that Nostradamus is about 30% accurate? About 30% of what he predicted has actually come to pass. And you go, well, 30%, but stop and think about this. If I asked you to predict the future, what do you think the chances are that you could predict things with 30% accuracy, I'm willing to, I, I bet that none of us could do that. So how did he do that? And then do you and I need to pay attention? So grab your Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 18. So it's going to be to the left from where you and I just were. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. 
Here's what God says about people who try to predict the future, try to be prophetic in, in what they say. It's Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. And again, guys, let me, let me say this out loud. I don't care what your experience has been. See, I don't care if you went to a fortune teller and she read your palm and that she was mostly accurate. I don't care. I don't care if you read your horoscope and your horoscope came true that day. You and I don't measure our lives by our horoscope. We measure it by what Scripture says. And if I were the enemy and I was trying to trick you, wouldn't I tell you mostly the truth, only sprinkled with lie? Here we go. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. Here's what it says. This is God speaking, and he's speaking to Moses. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything that I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will cut him, I myself will call him into account. So you get the moment, God says, look, if I speak my words through a prophet, if I deliver my message, then everybody is accountable. Word of God. What you and I have in here are the words of God delivered through his prophets. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything that I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, ready, must be put to death. That, that's, that's, that's pretty cut and dry. In other words, it says, look, 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 if someone comes to you and says, look, I've got this new word of God, I've, I've got this other thing, and God gave it to me, but God didn't really give it, kill him. You, you, you see, you, you, it, it's, it's like the world's first rock party. Grab a couple stones, take care of business, stone them. If somebody presumes to speak for me, and then he says, well, how do, you, how do I know? How do I know when, if a prophet is really from God or a prophet is not from God? How do you know that? You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? You ready? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not. Do not be afraid of him. So you get what the pastor says. The pastor says, look, if God speaks, if God is using a prophet, here's how you'll know. It will be 100% accurate. And if you go to a prophet, if you go to a palm reader, if you go to someone and they, they give you a prediction and they are 99% right and they miss it by one-tenth of 1%, what does Scripture say? Kill them. False prophet. Can you imagine if we played that one out? But you get, you get what Scripture, Scripture says saying, look, 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 this issue is black and white. And someone who, is, who, someone who has the words of God will be 100% accurate, and the moment they aren't, that is not God, have nothing, 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 nothing to do with them. Nostradamus was 30% correct. What's the answer? The answer is he was not God's prophet. You can't be 30% correct and be a prophet from God. 
And yet, here you and I sit in a moment and go, how then does a human have 30% accuracy about the future? He must have had some insight. He must have had... He probably did. He probably did. And if it wasn't God, you and I get left with one more option, and that's the enemy. What about the Mayans' prediction, 2012, December 21st? Here's what you need to say. You get that the Mayans did human sacrifice. Probably not biblical. Everybody agree at that point? Okay. You get that they worship the sun, which means they worship the creation and not the creator. If they had information, guess where it did not come from? From God. But as a matter of fact, I'm even going to be bold enough to go a little step further and tell you, I am absolutely sure that you and I are going to be okay December 21st, 2012. Okay? We're either, going to, we're either going to be all throwing a party that day or we're all going to be in heaven that day, but we're going to be okay because, here's the deal, the world's not ending on that day. It may end before that day, it may end after that, but it's not going to end on that day. Here, here's why I say that. Do you remember the disciples came to Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, you've been kind of talking about end times and all the stuff that's going to come and all that stuff, and, and could you just tell us when the end is? And you remember what Jesus said to him? Jesus said, no. Only God knows that day, and I'm not going to tell you that day, because here's what you would do. You'd go, oh, the world's ending in about a month. I think I'll go catch up on all the sins I haven't committed. For about 30 days, it's going to be Mardi Gras. And then at midnight, you know, the night before the world ends, I'll repent. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry I had Mardi Gras. You know, that's what we'll do. Or you and I would do the other end. We'd say, okay, I can live like the devil until about the week before the world ends, and then I'll do a couple of really nice things. And Jesus says, no, we're just not going to play that game. Matter of fact... I want you to live every day as if this could be the final day. I, I want you to live every day with the anticipation that I could come back and this could be done. So no, I'm not going to tell you the day. Which, matter of fact, I just think if, if somebody stands up and says, hey, here's the day the world ends. If I'm Jesus, I go, all right, not that day. I was thinking about that day, but not that day. <laughs> I'm not going to prove that turkey right. I'm not going to, you know. Which, guys, can I just say this out loud? I think includes Christians who try to predict the day. Why would we as Christians try to predict the day that Jesus already said, I'm not going to tell you that day. I don't want my children to have that day marked on their calendar. And then we sit around and go, well, you know, a generation is so long and, and, and Israel became a nation and if you take the letters and Henry Kissinger's name and Adam backwards and then... What? And I'm just going to tell you that Next time you get some Christian who goes up there on, you know, on TV and says, send me all your money because the world's ending in about a month, don't do it. Just mark your calendar and go, okay, that's the day Jesus isn't coming back on because that guy ain't going to be right. Okay? It's not the day. Okay? And don't worry about it. Okay? It's not the day. Is it okay for Christians to use a fortune teller, a medium, attend a seance, Ouija board? Some of us when we were kids, I remember as a kid being in, I think I was in Kmart. And they were selling Ouija boards in the toy section. Horoscope, 
Is that okay? Grab your Bibles. Leviticus. It's going to be to the left in your Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. This is interesting today because there seems to be an incredible amount of intrigue for alternate sources of information. Isn't that interesting? I mean, wait, 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 wait. Why, why, why are we so willing to say, no, 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 I, I, don't, I don't want God to speak, I want an alternate source of information. Why does that even pique curiosity for us? Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6, here's what it says. I will set my face against the person who turns to mediums and to spiritualists. Isn't that interesting? You, 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 I mean, this, this isn't a small thing. You get what God's saying. God says, look, look, look. If you decide to go to this alternate source to get information, if you decide to go to a medium or you decide to go to a spiritualist, I will set my face against you, which is just Bible for I will then oppose you in that moment. You've done something so deep, so profound within your life, God says, I will begin to work against you from that day forward. Well, Why? Well, stop and think about this for a second. Remember what we said at the very beginning, when I go to a medium or when I read my horoscope or, or when I uh, go to a fortune teller and say, hey, will you read my palm? There's really only two options at that moment. One is, is that they're a fake. They're absolutely a fake. And they're just, they're just making stuff up. You know, it's one of those ones that go, I, I think I see somebody's aunt... Uh, Edna, Edith, and then the person goes, um, I had an uncle named Charlie. Yeah, Charlie, Charlie. That was, yeah, that was, yeah, that was it. Yeah, Charlie. So either they're faking it or, you ready? Or there's a power there. And when God very clearly in Scripture says, and that's not me, you get that you and I get one other option for that power. Which means in the moment that you and I go to fortune tellers, in the moment you and I get our palms read, in the moment you and I consult a horoscope, we're fraternizing with the enemy. No wonder God said, when you, if you're going to go hang out with the opposing team, I'll set my face against you. I will set my face against the person who turns to mediums and to spiritualists to prostitute himself by following them. You get that God, every time he describes his relationship with us, says the closest I can come to telling you what it's supposed to be like when you follow me is the relationship between a husband and a wife. See, that, that level of intimacy, that, that level of connectivity that's supposed to happen in a great marriage that's the closest thing on earth you'll ever experience to what it's supposed to be like when you're walking with me, when you really have your life in tune with me. What it looks like when a husband adores his wife and a wife admires her husband. Which makes it all the greater the violation when you go to the dark side. 
you realize you violated our promise. It's like your, Scripture says, like you're prostituting yourself. And I will cut him off from his people. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing that scares me even more about this particular topic. You realize Satan's got restrictions. In other words, there's only, there's only so much that Satan is allowed to do in your life. Because if Satan could do anything he wanted to do, you get that he would just outright destroy us. And it's as if God has somehow made a line in the sand. And he kind of drug his foot across and he said, okay, Satan, over here, these are the things I will allow you to do. You can tempt. Uh, you can whisper in people's ears and you can say, did God really say and, and, and you can make things that aren't good look like they're good. You, you, that's, those are all things within your ability. But there are things I will not allow you to do. There, there is control and influence. I, you just, I will not, in grace, allow you to inflict that upon the world. But you realize that God has the ability to suspend that rule. He has the ability to say, okay, Satan, for one time, you can go a little further. You and I get that answer in the book of Job. Remember the book of Job? And the Bible says that one day Satan goes before God and says, hey, nobody in the world really loves you. No, nobody really, really is a God follower. And God says, no, no, haven't you seen my servant Job? Remember the story? And, and Satan says, well, you know, the re only reason that Job loves you is because you've been so good to him. So you've held me back and you've kept me away and you've restricted so much of what I'm doing. Let me reach out and touch him. Let me do what I want to do. He'll curse you. He'll curse you just like everybody else. And God says, you're mistaken, Satan. So, okay, we'll, we'll do a test. And for a moment in Job's life, God says, I'll, I'll allow you greater reign, greater influence, greater opportunity. And in that moment, the enemy just literally rips the life of Job to shreds. The great part about the story is that in the midst of that, Job says, no, I'm still a God follower. I don't care what the enemy does in my life. So God has the ability to open a door, but you realize you and I have the ability to open a door? That when you and I go and cavort with the enemy, when, when you and I go and mess with a Ouija board, when you and I consult someone to read our palm, you and I, in essence, in that moment say, the things that you could not do in my life before. See, I'm curious, and... Come on in. Welcome. And you and I inadvertently open up opportunities for greater temptation, greater influence. I will every time you run into someone who's truly dealing with the demonic attacking in their lives, I'm not talking about a Christian who happens to run in, but I guarantee you there's a door. You start asking, hey, did you mess with Ouija boards? Talk to me about astrology there's a door. And all I'm asking is, why would you and I ever go there? Why would you and I give any advantage to the enemy, knowing that all that's behind that door is lies? Don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. Which means, I think, guys, I think you and I have got to make some decisions about, you know, what, ty what types of movies do I entertain myself with? And how much occultic influence is there in that movie? I personally don't look at my horoscope. 
Because at the very end of the day, I go, look, it's either a mistake, it's some person over there, you know, chomping on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and writing whatever they think. Or if there is power behind it, it's the wrong power. So no thanks. I'm not going not gonna to go there. I'm not going to open a door of influence in my life. Uh, do angels still contact humans? Yes, this is an interesting question because... Um, there's, there's been a huge popularity rise around this of people going, you know what, I've got this angel who comes and talks to me and, and kind of consults me uh, in my life and helps, they're my spirit guide, so to speak. And, you know, if I rub my crystal, you know, then my angel comes and talks. And, you know, what does Scripture uh, say about that? So grab your Bibles again. Second Corinthians. So we're going to go toward, almost to the back. And then to the left, 2 Corinthians, chapter 11. Okay, so here's why I believe that you and I need to pause on this issue. Angels contacting humans happens biblically, but it's an Old Testament concept. In other words... In the Old Testament, you had moments in which angels would come and say, hey, you know what, uh, God's getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. You just need to tell your nephew to get out of there before God does. There are moments like that. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, I don't want to say it's a common thing because if you think about the fact that the Old Testament's written over about 4,000 years and maybe happens seven, eight, nine, ten times, not very many people experienced it. It was an incredibly rare thing, but it does happen in the Old Testament. But here's what you need to know, and here's why. Matter of fact, the word angel, the word angel actually means messenger. And there were moments in history in which God had to come and give a message, had to give information to people that they didn't know. He would send an angel. You cannot find an occurrence in the New Testament where an angel comes to give new information. You just can't. Here's why. Here's what changes in the New Testament. Number one is this. In the New Testament, you and I have the Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus, as he gets ready to ascend into heaven, says, when I leave, I am going to give you the Holy Spirit. So stop and think about this a moment. If you and I have the Holy Spirit, which is God, God living and residing in all of us who believe, and if you and I have the ability for God to speak directly to our hearts, why would you need an angel? Why would you substitute the voice of God for an angel? It'd be a letdown. I mean, it's completely unnecessary in the life of a New Testament believer. Here's the second part. In the Old Testament, guess what wasn't done yet? The Bible. You and I today have every single bit of information that God needs delivered for you and I to live our lives. You and I don't need new revelation. Matter of fact, Scripture is going to say, God says, I'm not going to give new revelation. I'm done. It's finished. Matter of fact, Revelation, the book of Revelation finishes with, anyone who adds to this book or tries to take away from this book, that person will be accursed. The story's done. Everything I need to know. Therefore, think about it, you and I don't need angels, and you and I have already got something better than an angel. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in our lives. Why would then God send an angel? 
just doesn't make sense. Made sense in the Old Testament, doesn't necessarily make sense now. And a matter of fact, in Scripture, we won't go there this morning, the only time that it talks about people getting highly involved with angels and they were kind of getting infatuated with angels and, and maybe worshiping angels a little bit, Scripture talks about them being false teachers. Okay? In the book of Revelation, John, at the end of the book of Revelation, starts to fall down and worship the angel who's been with him. The angel says, no, 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 no. You don't worship me. You only worship God. So I'm why would you and I get hung up on angels when you and I already have God in our lives? Okay? But here's the part that terrifies me when people begin to say, yeah, I've got this friend, this kind of spirit friend, and I'm pretty sure it's an angel. And 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, here's what it says. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. So you, you get when someone says, hey, you know, I, I got this angel and I talked to You realize that Satan was an angel. You realize that demons are all fallen angels. And this perception that we have that all of a sudden they became ugly and dirty and hit. You can't find that in the Bible. So if Satan was to appear if a demon how do you think they would appear scripture says as an angel of light why would you and I even go there when we've got the Holy Spirit in our lives why would you and I even tread on that ground when we know that that's one of the schemes of the enemy don't go there don't go there everything you and I need to know is right here stay away stay away stay away can a Christian go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Satan? Grab your Bibles real quick. We're going to go to the back. We're going to go super, super fast. We're going for the book of Jude. Now, just so you know, Jude is the book just before the book of Revelation. So we're going like all the way to the back. It's a totally cool book because it's only one chapter long. So if you want to impress your friends, you can go, dude, I read the book of Jude. I read a whole book of the Bible in devotions today. And it's only like 15 verses. Okay, so it's a cool book. In the book of Jude, here's what's happening, just so you get the background. There are false teachers, there are deceivers that are in the church, and they're, and they're sending things, all sorts of haywire. But one of the things that they're doing is they're claiming all sorts of spiritual authority over demons and darkness and weird powers, and Jude begins to address uh, this issue for them, okay? So here's the thing, though, you need to hear me say. As a Christian, not... As a Christian, you and I have authority over the demonic. Matter of fact, there's an interesting story in Scripture where people who didn't know Jesus, weren't Christians, tried to cast some demons out of a guy. And they said, here's what they said. They said, in, in the power of Jesus Christ that Paul teaches about, you demons come out of the guy. And Scripture says the demons responded and said, Jesus we know and Paul we know but we don't know who you guys are, and the demons then beat the holy tar out of them, okay? So, as a believer, as a person who has the Holy Spirit residing, you and I have authority over demons. Here's what you and I have got to balance that with. I think it's very easy, and I think sometimes Christians then become arrogant, and they go, oh, okay, so I can just, you know, I can just flip off Satan. 
I, I can just say anything I want to to him. I can, I can be arrogant to Satan because I've got this spiritual authority in my life. Scripture seems to warn and say, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. You may, you may, you may have spiritual authority, but that doesn't give you the license to be arrogant or restless or, or puffed up in pride. On the, you be careful, because it doesn't, it's almost like a lion tamer who forgets that the lion is still dangerous. Does that make sense? And stop and think about this for a moment. You remember when you were in grade school? Re- remember, remember when there was that one kid in grade school who was man-child? You know what I'm talking about. They're only in sixth grade, and yet all of a sudden they're growing hair where you didn't know hair should grow, and their body's like developing extra quick, you know, and they're like, five foot ten, and they're a sixth grader, and you're like, <laughs> remember that? And remember, he always ended up being the bully in the class. The fun part was, by the time we got to high school, you and I all grew and caught up, and then we beat him up, but it was still terrifying in grade school, remember that? And so, man-child would come to you and say, look, look after school, you and me, playground. So now you spent the next three periods in school going, oh my goodness, Man-child's waiting for me in the playground. (laughs) And so you started trying to come up with alternate directions you could head home. Remember that? By avoiding the playground. Because in your wisdom, here's what you said. (laughs) I am 58 pounds sopping wet. I am not going up against man-child. Okay? That was wisdom in that moment. Think about this. Satan, Satan's smarter than you and me. And yet he sat in the presence of God, watched the wonder of God, watched God call planets and galaxies into existence by his word. And yet Satan, being the most powerful angel in all of heaven, said to himself, he calculated and said, I think I can take God. Now he was wrong. But how powerful do you have to be to believe you win that fight? It's why you and I don't ever forget that it's a lion. And although you and I may have the whip in our hands, you don't turn your back on the lion. You don't get reckless with this thing, even though you and I have spiritual authority in this area. Matter of fact, now comes the passage in Jude. Here's what it says. Jude, verse 6, and it says, The angels who did not keep their position of authority but abandon their own home. That's talking about, remember, when Satan falls, he takes a third of the angels with him. A third of the angels fell and became what you now call demons. These he has kept in darkness, bound for everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So get this moment. There are some demons, some angels who fell from heaven who are so powerful that God said, no, 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 I will not let you inflict your strength on the earth. I will bind you up and you will only be released at the last day. Because I will not let the world suffer you. So there are literally angels of such great power, demons falling, that God just said, no, I will not let that touch the earth. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Here we go. In the very same way, these dreamers, these false teachers who come in and become arrogant and and, and boastful about dealing with the, with the demonic, pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and ready, and slander celestial beings. He's talking about demons. 
But even, ready? But even the archangel Michael, the second most powerful angel ever, even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, and we don't know what that was. Apparently somewhere Satan said, I want the body of Moses. I, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to reanimate. I don't know, okay? Did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him. So here's Michael resisting Satan, and he says, look, look, look. I'm not going to speak arrogantly. I'm not going to smart mouth you. And here's what he says. But the Lord rebuke you. What does it mean to you and me that the angel, archangel Michael, as he contends with Satan, doesn't lose his focus, doesn't become arrogant, and in that moment, rather than getting puffed up in his own pride, says, look, I'm not going to mess with you. The Lord rebuke you. So I'm just going to say, yes, you and I have authority, but be careful, be careful, be careful, because you and I are in the cage with a lion. And don't ever forget it. Okay, where do we land this? Where does this come? So here's the thing I'm just going to say to you today. There's an enemy, and the enemy is real. And I know there are some of us in this room who are going to go, hey, Lenny, are you really telling me it's a big deal if I, if I read my horoscope? I mean, are you really telling me that, you know, I was just at the fair, and it was just, a, you know, it was fun, and all my friends put me up to it, and, you know, yeah, I went to see a palm reader. And guys, I'm just going to say, Satan would love nothing more than for you and I to flirt around, to play around in curiosity. The only thing he loves any more than that is for you and I just to say, I don't think he's there. I, 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 think, he's I think he's just a representation. Because either way gives him opportunity in our lives. And I'm just going to say to this room, there are some of us in here who need to say, you know what, I've had an experience in my life, I've had, I've had some contact in my life, I even thought it was a good thing, I thought it was a godly thing at the time, but I'm seeing right now that scripture says, wow, there's a really good chance that was the enemy. 99% truth and 1% lie, just trying to kind of suck me in. And I, I just need to, I need to denounce that and stand on what scripture says, and stay away and stay away. It's possible there's some of us in the room who say, Lynn, I, man, I, I haven't just flirted with this. I've gotten, I've gotten pretty deeply involved. I mean, I've, I've, I've opened some real doors in my life. I've, man, I've, I, I've been all over the Ouija board. Or, man, I've got this game that I play that has some real darkness to it. God would say, why, why are we flirting with the enemy? Why, why are we playing with darkness? And today would be a good day for you and I to say, you know what, God, that was wrong. And I'm just done. I just need, I need that stuff out of my life. You don't play with the enemy. So let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we simply come before you in this moment, and we're just going to say out loud, <laughs> the enemy is real. And, and those of us who are followers of Christ have no business flirting with the enemy. And, I, and, and God... No matter what we thought that experience was, no matter what we thought that moment was, no matter that we thought that that contact we made was something positive and good, or we really thought it was Aunt Edna, or we thought maybe that was an angel that came and talked to us, God, we're just going to say it doesn't line up with Scripture. It's not what, it's not what your word says is supposed to happen. And, and if it's outside of your word, then we've got a pretty good idea where that came from.
And we're just going to step back. We're just going to step away and say, I don't want to be involved in anything that's not about my God and doesn't support it by Scripture. I will not give the enemy a foothold in my life. I will not be deceived. So I'm stepping away. God, I ask that those in the room, maybe who've been where they shouldn't have been and gone further than they should have gone, that the schemes of the enemy would just be brought into full light today. And they'd say, I just, I, I want nothing to do with that so-called angel I've been talking to. I want, I want nothing to do with a horoscope or tarot cards. I want everything to do with my Lord. God, would you call some of us back from the edge? And this we say in Jesus' name. Amen.